This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. Seven is commonly referred to as a lucky number. In addition, seven seems to be significant in signs and symbols found in the universe. There are seven days in the week, seven continents and seven seas on the planet, and seven colors in a rainbow. Seven years ago, we were right in the middle of 2016. We can all recall significant events that occurred that year. Some good, some not so good. It was the year of Brexit, or British exit, when the United Kingdom voted to withdraw from the European Union. It was also the year a mass shooting occurred at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. 49 people were killed and 53 wounded in one of the deadliest mass shootings in history. 2016 was also the year that the Chicago Cubs would break their 108-year curse by winning the World Series. And we lost several notable people in 2016. David Bowie, Muhammad Ali, Nancy Reagan... And I was personally gutted upon hearing the news of the passing of one of my favorite musical artists of all time, Prince, who died at the age of 57 on April 21st of that year. We also had a historic presidential election in the U.S. in 2016. But let me move on. The most significant thing in my life seven years ago happened on June 9th, 2016. That's the date I released the first three episodes of Once Upon a Crime, one warm summer evening. I hit publish, and at that moment, had no idea how much it would change my life. Here we are, seven years and almost 300 episodes later, and it has been a crazy, fun, amazing, mind-blowing ride. Because I made the decision to share my freakish knowledge of true crime cases in a podcast, I've gained experiences and friendships I never would have imagined, and I am so grateful for. I've traveled around the country and even the world, attending true crime events like CrimeCon and CrimeCon UK. I've been to Indianapolis, Nashville, Kansas City, New Orleans, Las Vegas, London, and the list goes on. I've become friends with amazing true crime creators and podcasters, some of whom I was a fan before I became their friend. I've also had amazing experiences being interviewed by the news media, on podcasts, And I even appeared on television not once but twice this year alone. None of these things were what I anticipated when I first set up a microphone and began recording in the back room of my little counseling office in Northern California. But like I said, here we are. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I wouldn't trade you for the world either, dear listener. Without you listening, subscribing, and sharing Once Upon a Crime with your friends, family members, and coworkers. I would not be able to do what I love for the past seven years, and hopefully will have the privilege to do forever. Namely, share my true crime stories with you and the world every week. So, I'm forever grateful at a level I cannot even fully express. So, I'll simply say, thank you. To mark our seven-year anniversary, we've chosen seven cases from our archives to update. I'll summarize each case, and will tell you what has happened since the original episode was released. I've also included the episode numbers and dates that each was released, if you'd like to listen to them again, or for the first time if you've not yet done so. There are also links to each episode in the show notes. Without further ado, here are seven case updates from seven years of Once Upon a Crime. 
Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Episode number one of Once Upon a Crime was part of a series called Lost and Found. These were all cases of people who had gone missing and were found alive years later. The first case was about J.C. DeGard. It was released on June 9th, 2016, and like I said, was episode number one. Here's a summary of the case. 11-year-old J.C. DeGard was abducted from a bus stop in Myers, California, a small town south of Lake Tahoe. Philip and Nancy Garrido held her in captivity for over 18 years. She endured extreme sexual and mental abuse and was impregnated by Garrido twice, the first time at the age of just 13. While held captive, J.C. gave birth to two daughters. In 2009, J.C. and her daughters, aged 15 and 11 at the time, were discovered with Garrido on the University of Berkeley campus. A pair of alert campus security officers reported their suspicions about Garrido to the authorities. He was arrested later that week, and the girls were rescued. Where they are now. After being released from captivity, J.C. was reunited with her astonished and overjoyed mother, Terry Probin. J.C. and her daughters first resided with Terry and the girls were enrolled in school for the very first time. J.C.'s younger half-sister, Shayna, who was just a baby at the time of J.C.'s disappearance, taught her bigger sister how to drive. J.C. took part in extensive therapy to help mitigate the trauma she'd suffered for almost two decades in captivity. She became an advocate for animal-assisted therapy, attributing some of her healing to working with therapy horses. She has written two successful books, a Stolen Life, a memoir that was published in 2011, and Freedom, My Book of Firsts, in 2017. She was recently asked, how do you live a life you never thought you'd see? And she responded, one day at a time. What happened to J.C.'s daughters? As of 2022, her daughter Angel is now 28 years old, and her younger daughter Starlight is 25. Both girls attended college and have adjusted surprisingly well to the outside world. They live a very private life. Some of their own friends are unaware of their history. 
Neither wishes to have contact with Garrido. However, JC has stated if they choose to, she wouldn't stop them in the future. Quote, I hope they wouldn't want to, but as long as he's behind bars and they're safe, I wouldn't hinder their ability to make that choice, she said. Philip Garrido is serving 431 years to life at Corcoran State Prison in the Protective Housing Unit, where he was once housed alongside Charles Manson. He is now 72 years old. Nancy Garrido is now 67 and serving her 36 years to life in Chino, California. Hey, Esther. This is Justin. And this is Aaron. <laughs> we wanted to congratulate you for your seven-year anniversary. I know back at that time when I thought about the old guard of podcasts, uh, true crime podcasts, I definitely thought of you as the old guard with us. Uh, you were always in my mind as one of the first and... Um, yeah, it's uh, been quite a journey, and now we have a whole new guard, but we're still around kicking. <laughs> Congratulations, Esther. One of our most popular episodes was actually a double episode. Episodes 71 and 72 was part of the series The Twelve Crimes of Christmas and was about the disappearance and murder of Lacey Peterson. This was a episode that I did with my sister Yolanda, who is always a very, very popular guest host. It was released on December 18th, 2017. Here's a summary of the case. Lacey Peterson was nine months pregnant when she went missing from her home in Modesto, California, on Christmas Eve day 2002. Her husband, Scott Peterson, reported her missing, and an extensive search was launched to find her. Four months later, Lacey's remains, as well as the remains of her unborn child, were discovered washed up on the shores of San Francisco Bay. Scott Peterson, her husband, was the primary suspect in the case, and after a highly publicized trial, was convicted of the first-degree murder of his wife and the second-degree murder of their unborn child. In 2004, he was sentenced to death and is serving his sentence at San Quentin State Prison. The case received widespread media attention and has been the subject of numerous books, documentaries, and, of course, podcasts. What are the updates on this case? August 24, 2020, the state Supreme Court overturned Scott Peterson's death sentence, citing significant errors in jury selection. Despite throwing out the death penalty, the Supreme Court ruled that there is considerable incriminating circumstantial evidence against Peterson to convict him. In October 2020, the state Supreme Court ruled that a judge must consider whether Scott Peterson's murder convictions should be tossed out because of juror misconduct. The following month, Peterson waived his right to a speedy trial of the penalty phase of this case. In December of 2021, Scott Peterson was resentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Just last October 2022, Scott Peterson was moved off San Quentin's death row and into the general prison population. He is now an inmate at Mule Creek State Prison in Ione, California. (music) 
Hey Esther, it's Eric Carter Londine, your friend and the host of True Consequences Podcast. Me and Jackie are wishing you a very happy anniversary for Once Upon a Crime. So proud of you. Here's to seven more years of incredible storytelling and amazing research. Keep up the good work, and I can't wait to celebrate with you in London in a couple of weeks. In March of 2018, I did a series on unusual criminal defenses. In episode 83, I covered the case of Ethan Couch and what was known as the affluenza defense. It was released on March 26, 2018. Here's a summary of the case. Ethan Couch, a.k.a. the Affluenza Teen, made headlines in 2013 when he was involved in a fatal drunk driving accident that killed four people. At the time of the accident, Couch was only 16 years old and was driving under the influence of alcohol and drugs. During his trial, Couch's defense argued that he suffered from affluenza, a condition caused by his privileged upbringing that made him unable to understand the consequences of his actions. This argument was widely criticized and drew national attention. He was sentenced to 10 years probation in 2013 and was ordered to undergo treatment at a rehabilitation facility. However, in 2015, he violated this probation by attending a party where alcohol was served. He then fled to Mexico with his mother to avoid facing the consequences. He would later be captured and extradited to the United States. In 2016, Couch was sentenced to two years in jail for violating his probation. He was released in 2018. Where are they now? March 18, 2019, Couch had the terms of his probation reduced. He was no longer required to wear the GPS ankle monitor. However, the other terms of his tenure probation sentence remained in effect. In July of 2019, Fred Couch, Ethan's father, was arrested for allegedly choking his girlfriend and charged with felony family violence. The argument between the two reportedly began when his girlfriend raised questions regarding his son Ethan's curfew. In January of 2020, Couch was arrested again after testing positive for THC on a drug test violating his conditions of probation once again. He was released a day later. There is some question if the positive result came from illegal marijuana or CBD oil. On September 24, 2020, Tanya Couch, Ethan's mother, was granted parole regarding charges that she was convicted on in relation to helping her son evade justice. The charges she faced were hindering the apprehension of a felon and money laundering. She was released from prison on October 16, 2020, and placed under supervision until February of this year. Hey Esther, it's Laura from the Fall Line Podcast, and we all wanted to wish you a very happy 7th anniversary. Once Upon a Crime is a fabulous podcast, and we can't wait to keep listening for many more years to come. Episode 126 was part of the Bad Sports series, and this was a case of Sally Killer McNeil. The episode was released on April 8, 2019. Here's a summary. Sally McNeil, a former competitive bodybuilder, 
was convicted of murdering her husband, Ray McNeil, on Valentine's Day 1995. Her husband was also a competitive bodybuilder. The two had been married for eight years. Sally claimed that she had shot Ray in self-defense, but prosecutors argued the evidence suggested otherwise. During the trial, prosecutors presented evidence that Sally purchased a gun and ammo prior to the murder, and forensic evidence regarding the trajectory of the bullets fired into Ray McNeil, one of which appeared to have been fired while he was on the ground. Sally was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 19 years to life. Where is Sally McNeil now? In 2020, McNeil was released from prison. She first resided at the Veterans Transition Center and was required to attend support group meetings. She is currently living in Northern California, employed as a warehouse worker. McNeil married her third husband, Norfleet Stewart, after her release from prison. The two met in a parolee support group. After she was convicted, McNeil's children, Shantina and John Loudon, were placed under the care of their maternal grandparents. Both children later entered military service. Shantina served in the Army for 16 years, touring Iraq and Afghanistan, and later worked as an electrical engineer. She reports having dealt with post-traumatic stress due to her experience in the Army and involvement in an abusive relationship. She now lives in Georgia, where she works in IT. According to other reports, Sally's son, John, served five combat tours in Afghanistan and also dealt with drug addiction and PTSD issues. He currently lives in Texas and has a son. Though her children didn't have much contact with her while in prison, the three have reunited since Sally's release. Her son walked her down the aisle when she wed Stewart. In 2022, Netflix released a three-part docuseries on the Ray and Sally McNeil case titled Killer Sally. Hey Esther, it's Tyler from the Minds of Madness podcast. Wow, seven years. That is bonkers. I know I've told you this before, but I was a huge fan of your show before I even started thinking about starting a podcast. And I'm pretty sure I drove everyone nuts at my job because I used to walk around the office whistling your theme song. And now look at you now. I'm seeing you on some of my favorite TV shows. You're still cranking out awesome content. And you've also become a really great friend. So congratulations to you and your team for seven awesome years of podcasting. And funny enough, after I'm finishing recording this, I got to call you to talk about the episode we're going to do together. So I'll be talking to you soon, but congratulations. I covered a case from the 1950s on episode 159 titled Bad Seeds, Leslie Arnold. It was released on February 24, 2020. Here's a summary of the case. In 1958, at the age of 16, William Leslie Arnold shot and killed his mother and father in their Omaha, Nebraska home after they refused to allow him the use of the family car to attend a drive-in movie. Leslie Arnold shot and killed his parents and buried their bodies in the backyard. He spent two weeks continuing his everyday life at home and told friends and family that his parents had taken a trip. He was eventually arrested and confessed to the murder of his parents. Arnold was sentenced to life in prison. In 1967, after serving just eight years, Leslie Arnold escaped prison. 
There were reports that he surfaced in Brazil, but that is where the trail went cold. What's the updates on Leslie Arnold? Just in 2020, Deputy Marshal Matthew Westover became enthralled in the Leslie Arnold case. He interviewed James Arnold, Leslie's brother. James also provided a DNA sample. Two years later, in 2022, Westover received an alert that James Arnold's DNA was matched with a possible relative of the Arnold family. The person who'd provided the DNA sample to the Ancestry site had also uploaded a message. It read, quote, I'm trying to find more information about my father. He was an orphan from Chicago. This man said that his father, John Damon, had died in 2010. Further DNA testing determined that John Damon was, in reality, the escaped convict, Leslie Arnold. Leslie Arnold had married within three months of escaping prison and became the father of four. He lived in Miami, Florida before relocating to California. Later, when he and his wife divorced, he moved to New Zealand. Finally, in 1978, he settled in Australia and was employed in sales. William Leslie Arnold, a.k.a. John Damon, died at age 69 and was laid to rest in Australia. Westover provided Arnold's son with his father's true identity and past history. Arnold's son, who requested to remain anonymous to protect his family's privacy, provided this statement, quote, There is no warning label on the DNA test kit telling you you might not like what you find but I don't regret doing it, and I'm glad I know the truth about my dad. Although it's shocking to know that his life began with a terrible crime, his legacy is so much more than that. I want him to be remembered for being a good father and provider to us, instilling in me a passion for music and a drive always to be the best person I can be." End quote. Hello, Esther. It is Charlie from Crime Lines here, and I just want to say that I'm thinking back over the last seven years we've been podcasting side by side, supporting each other along the way. And while we've done a lot of things from different conventions to the Facebook messages and groups where we lend each other an ear and support and the Gen Y 10-year anniversary live show, which I know is a highlight for both of us. We've had so much fun on this journey so far, and I know that's going to continue for years to come. I want to say congratulations on seven years of compelling podcasting, amazing storytelling, and helping the audience think more deeply about the issues surrounding these cases so that we can all learn a little bit more and be a little bit better. Thank you, Esther, for everything you've done. Congratulations, and I'll see you soon. Case number six was one that was somewhat controversial and is still being played out in the courts today. Episodes 168 and 169 covered the case of Jeff Pelly. The episode was titled Last Dance, The Pelly Murders and was released on May 11, 2020. Here's a summary. Jeff Pelly was convicted of the 1989 murders of his father, stepmother, and two stepsisters in Lakeville, Indiana. Pelly was 17 years old at the time of the murders and in 2006 was sentenced to 160 years in prison. The case gained national attention due to the cold-blooded nature of the crime and the fact that the alleged killer was a teenager who attended his high school prom immediately after the killings. 
Jeff Pelley maintained his innocence throughout the trial and his appeals process. The case remains controversial, with some people believing that Pelley was wrongfully convicted and others believing he is guilty of the heinous murders. Where is this case now? Now 51 years old, Jeff Pelley still maintains his innocence and continues to seek exoneration for the murders of his family members. In March 2022, during a four-day hearing before St. Joseph County Judge Stephanie Steele, Pelley and his legal team argued that prosecutors lied or misrepresented key pieces of evidence in the case, including a pair of blue jeans, and that Pelley received ineffective counsel. Should the judge rule in Pelley's favor, he may receive a new trial. If not, Pelley will remain in prison and will have lost his last chance at exoneration. Just this February 2023, prosecutors filed their final legal arguments in the appeals case, and Pelley is currently awaiting the judge's decision. Hey Esther, Lorena here, your right-hand gal. Seven freaking years. I can't believe it. It seems like just yesterday we were sitting in the corner of the OG office talking about where this show could go. And now look at you, almost 300 episodes later and appearing on national TV. I just want to say thank you for providing me with the best job ever and congrats on seven years. I can't wait to see what the future holds. Our last case update is also a two-parter. Episodes 238 and 239 are one of the most brutal cases I've ever covered. It was titled The Ties That Bind, The Crimes of Shelley Notek, and was released on April 12, 2022. Here's a summary. Shelley Notek, a.k.a. America's Most Evil Mom, abused, tortured, and humiliated her children and her partners, but her control and abuse went beyond her own family. One by one, each person she took into her home soon found themselves trapped in an escalating cycle of humiliation, abuse, and violence. In 2004, Notek was found guilty of the murders of her friends Kathy Loreno, age 36, and 57-year-old Ronald Woodworth. Her husband, David Notek, was convicted for the murder of Shelley's 17-year-old nephew, Shane Watson, who Shelley was raising in her home and who went missing in 1994. Notek's daughters, who reported long-term abuse and torture by their mother, testified against her at trial. Shelley Notek was sentenced to 22 years to life in prison. Her husband was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Where are they now? Shelley Notek, now 69 years old, was released two years early on November 8, 2022. This caused outrage among the residents in the small town of Raymond, Washington. Response to the news of her release has been extremely critical. Residents took to Facebook to voice their opinions. Quote, Evil is out and amongst us, one read. Another post read, She should have been locked up forever. It's unclear where Notech has been residing since her release. She is reportedly in poor health. She has been required to remain under court-ordered supervision for at least a year. After serving 13 years in prison, David Notech was released on parole in 2016. And in June 2022, he filed a protective order against Shelley Notek. That will do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. Thank you once again for seven amazing years 
And here's to 70 more. Please make sure to subscribe, follow, and share the podcast with others. I really appreciate it. I'll be appearing at CrimeCon UK in London this weekend, June 10th and 11th, so an episode will not be released on June 12th. But I'll be back soon with more true crime stories and an episode I've done in collaboration with Tyler from Minds of Madness podcast. Tyler and I have teamed up to bring you a truly mind-boggling murder case from the UK, which we'll be presenting in a live show at CrimeCon UK. If you're attending CrimeCon next weekend, mark your programs to attend the Minds of Madness Once Upon a Crime live show. Thanks, and I can't wait to meet you there on Podcast Row. Go to crimecon.co.uk to get your tickets and use my discount code ONCEUPON. See you there. Once Upon a Crime is written and produced by me, Esther Sanchez Ludlow. My production assistant is Lorena Garcia, and I thank her for providing additional research for this episode. Until next time, be good to one another.